This week's parsha is Parshas Vayigash. In Perak Memvav, Pasuk Chavtes, when Yaakov Avinu comes down from Eretz Canaan to Gaishan, so Yosef now goes in the famous scene to meet his father after 22 years of separation. And the Pasuk says, Vayasar Yehuda Yosef Merkavtai. Yosef takes his wagon, Rashi says, he himself hitches his royal chariot all by himself. He doesn't wait for any of his servants to do it for him. This is how excited he is to go and see his father. He heads towards Gaishan to have this encounter with his father Yisrael. Vayera Elav. These are the two words that we're going to focus on this morning. Vayera Elav, and he appeared to him. Vayipal al Tzavarav, and he falls on his shoulders. Vayef al Tzavarav Aid, and he continues to cry on his shoulders. Rashi says on those two words, Vayera Elav, that he appeared to him. Rashi says the following. Yosef Nira El Aviv. Four words, Rashi says. Yosef appeared to his father. Which is a little strange because, and this is the Ramban's kasha, isn't it the obvious shot in the Pasuk that Yosef appeared before his father? Do we need Rashi to come and tell us Yosef Nira El Aviv? Obviously, by Yera Elav, the Pasuk, the subject in the Pasuk was simply Yosef. Yosef appeared before his father. What's the, what is the, the big lesson that Rashi is coming to impart by saying these words, which is L'chera just repetitive in the Pshat and the Pasuk. By Yera Elav, Yosef Nirel Aviv. And the Ramban, because of this question, he looks at this pasta completely different than Rashi. But we're not going to discuss the Ramban's shot this morning. We're going to focus on Rashi and what Rashi meant by saying Yosef Nira El Aviv. There's a very famous shot on these words of Rashi that Rebelli Lapian used to quote his Rebbe, Rebbeit Chasman, as saying, he says that Really, both Yosef and his father Yaakov were very, very excited for this meeting. 22 long years, a father and a son longed to see one another. They were very close. He was the Ben Zakunim. He was the son that Yaakov had in his old age. They learned together the Chavrusa, Kola He loved him so much that he gave him the Ksenis Pasim. This was something that really was a meeting for all ages. This was an encounter of epic proportion. And a human being, when you're looking forward to seeing somebody that you haven't seen in a very long time, would be excused for having a regesh of me. How is it going to be for me? How am I going to feel when I have that airport scene with my father, with my son? It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I can't sleep the night before. I'm so excited. It's going to be such a highlight of my year, of my life. 
when that encounter happens, this is what Yaakov was feeling, and this is what Yosef was feeling. However, Yosef, being the good son that he was, wanted that it should not be about him. He wanted that this meeting, that this encounter, that this reunion should be one that focuses solely on the pleasure that his father will have in seeing him. Yosef was mevatel himself, says Rebbeim Chasman. He totally made himself into a non-player in this reunion. It wasn't about him at all. It was just solely about being mechabed his father, his father who was yearning to see Yosef for so long and came down from Eretz Canaan for this meeting, Yosef appeared before his father. Yosef nira el Rashi says. He completely made himself batal umavotal before his father. And he focused solely on the pleasure that his father would have from the meeting. And he sort of put down, suppressed his own personal human emotion in the meeting just so that his father should be the one that's deriving pleasure. It wasn't about Yosef. It was solely about his father's pleasure. That's the pshat, says Rashi in the Pasuk, Vayera Elav. He appeared before Yaakov. Yosef came with one goal in mind, not because it was going to be a mutually beneficial meeting, a beautiful moment for both of them to share. No. Yosef wanted solely to be mechabed his father in this meeting. Yosef nira el Rashi says. When he came to his father, all he wanted was one thing and one thing only, that his father should be the beneficiary of Hanar. It wasn't about Yosef. Yosef was coming to appear before his father. Nothing more, nothing less. That was the extent of the love and the, the kibbun aim that Yosef had for his father. You know, there's a story that goes with this Rebbeim Chasman. And it's sort of a very uh, important story um, because Pesach Kron, who is a, uh, he's a good personal friend of mine, but he's a very influential uh, personality, I would say, in Klal Yisrael. He's written many books and given so many inspirational lectures and joshes. This vart that I just said over from Leib Chasman really began his entire career. And in fact, it's the first vart and the first story that appears in all the Magid books that he published was this vart in the context of a story. So it's a significant vart. Um, Repesach Kron has a cousin whose name is Chaim David Ackerman. And Chaim David was a bacher who learned in Chevron Yeshiva in Yerushalayim when he was young, when he was of age to go to Eretz Yisrael from America. And he learned there two years. It wasn't like today that you just jump on a plane every Shalashragalim and go back home. There, if you were learning in Eretz Yisrael, you learned there for, until you had to come back home. So he was there two years. He hadn't seen his parents in two years. And obviously his parents were eagerly anticipating his coming home. And after two years, he was 
planning his ticket or his boat ride. I don't know how he came back to America from Eretz Yisrael, but we're going back to the 1960s. I imagine it was uh, a plane. Um, and he booked a ticket that had a stopover in London. On the way back to America, he stopped over in London for two weeks because he had friends from the Hebron Yeshiva that, were, that lived there, and he wanted to experience London together with his friends, have a Geshmak and only then, after spending two weeks in London, go to America, to home. And obviously, he didn't think about it, I guess, too much, but his parents couldn't have been too thrilled that he didn't want to come home immediately. They haven't seen their son for two years, but this is what a Bachar does. You know, sometimes a Bachar just thinks a little bit, you know, about himself and about his own chavaya, his own life experiences, and maybe puts other people and other considerations on the back burner. And this is what he did. He came to London on Erev Shabbos with his friends, and he saw that the great Rav Shalom Shvadron, the great Maggid of Yerushalayim, was speaking in, uh, in a shul in Stamford Hill. Stamford Hill is one of the suburbs, the Yiddish suburbs in London. And he knew Rav Shalom Shvadron from Hebron. I think he was the Baltfila and the Yom Nairam there. And everybody knew Rav Shalom Shvadron. His famous Maggid Yerushalayim. Everybody heard his drushes. I was like to hear... Uh, Rib Shalom give a drasha once in, in the Grushal and Shari Chesed. He was a world renowned Darshan and Magid. So he decided he wanted to hear Rib Shalom Shadron speak that night in Stamford Hill. And they walked to the shul, I guess after the Suda, and Rib Shalom was giving one of his amazing drushas. And in this drasha, he quoted this vart from his Rebbe. Rebellion Lapian, Bashem, Rebellion Lapian's Rabbi Rebbe Chasman, about this Rashi of Yasef Nira El Aviv. And Rabbi Shalom gave it in all of its glory. He breathed life into this part, and he was explaining how important it is when it comes to the midst of Kibbut Avaim to put your own emotions aside, to put your own feelings, to put your own priorities on the back burner and to solely give of yourself so that your parents should get hanah from you. And Chaim David was sitting there, and his face was turning different colors at this point in the drasha because he took it very personally. And he understood loud and clear that this message was to him, that how could he do such a thing? How could he make a, a detour of two weeks on his way to come home to see his parents who were eagerly anticipating his arrival, how dare he go and make a two-week a two week stint in London to have a great time to see Madame Tussauds and, uh, and the Tower of London and the Crown Jewels while his parents were eagerly awaiting him. How could he go against this basic concept of being mechabed your parents, Yasef Nira El Aviv, put your parents first, think about your parents, it's not about you, it's about them. And this Vart resonated loud and clear with him. Sunday morning, he booked his ticket to go straight back to America. He forgot his entire vacation in London and went home. And his parents, when he came home, was so, were so happy to welcome him back. They embraced him, they kissed him, and they decided they wanted to make a, a homecoming party for him. 
and they invited the relatives, including Rabbi Pesach Kron's father, who was uh, a very big tzaddik, and he was a famous male. He died very young, and he left over Pesach Kron and his brothers, Yusayimim and his wife and Almana at a very young age, and uh, very tragic. But Pesach Kron's father heard Chaim David at that homecoming party speak and say the reason why he came home early because of this great Magin Yushalayim of Shalom Shvadron who said this great bard about Yasef Nirel Aviv which inspired him to not just say wow that's an amazing bard Yashakayach but actually to do something about it to come back home right away to appear before his parents and Repesach Kron's father says if there could be such a Magid in the world that's so inspirational and so impactful when he comes to America next, I want him staying by my house. And he did that. He arranged that he should stay by him, and he stayed by him for many, many months at a time. They got extremely close. Her Pesach Kron uh, was a, a bacher at the time, and he got really close to Abshalom, and as a result, he wrote down all of his stories, all of his Mashalom, all of his Musar, and he made these into many of the Magid books, and then eventually he himself became a Magid, but all because of this one Vart. Sometimes a Vart can literally change the trajectory of people's lives. And this is one such Vart. Yasef Nira El Ovid, how important it is for a person to appear before his parents without any selfish consideration. Just for my parents, even though it doesn't really appeal to me, or maybe it does appeal, whether it's good or bad, you have to be mevatel yourself to your parents' rutsin sometimes. That's part of the mitzvah of Kibbut Abayim. Yaisif near love, no emotion for Yaisif, no happiness, no joy. Obviously, had it in his heart, but that wasn't his express purpose in being at this reunion. It wasn't about him and his experience and his wow moment. It was about being there for his father. What a profound lesson. I want to suggest this morning another understanding of Yasef Nirel Aviv, not a different understanding, but perhaps a more, not just an emotional reason behind Yasef coming and appearing to his father because of considerations of Kibra Aim and that he didn't. He was mevatel his own emotions for his father. That's more of a musar bart. I want to try to explain it rationally, halachically maybe, why it was that Yosef was mevatel himself to his father at this point in time. Why he didn't have his own expression of identity, but rather he was just coming before his father to be seen and not to see. It's very important when we're laning these parshas, when we're being Mavra Sedra in these weeks to understand what was going on exactly with Yasef and his brothers. If you would read this just straight from the Arscroll translation, it would read like a bizarre tale of a brother maybe trying to take revenge for some terrible deeds that his brothers did towards him making them squirm perhaps, taking 
his brothers when they were at a very, very vulnerable stage. There was a famine and they needed Yosef and now Yosef was going to make them pay big for what they did to him, throwing him into a pit, selling him into, into servitude. So now we're going to make the brothers, when they come down to Egypt, um, have all these problems and we're going to make them confused. We're going to put uh, bechers in their, in their bags make them, you know, bring Binyamin back, have Binyamin imprisoned, have Shimon imprisoned, different things happening, very difficult to understand, then finally fetching his father to come down to Mitzrayim. All of these are very confusing episodes in the Pasha. How do you explain them? What is Yasef trying to do over here? He's doing a lot of things. Why couldn't he just tell his brothers right away, I'm Yasef, bring the family down, I'm going to rescue you in Geisha. What's he making them go through all these you know, terrible stresses and pressures and, and, and bring people up and back and forth. It wasn't in the jet age that you just jump on a plane and bring... These are, this is a lot of movement, a lot of mobility, a lot of transportation happening which, with seeming incoherence. It doesn't make sense what Yasef is doing. You have to understand the Ramban in order to really open up our eyes to all of these parshias. The Ramban is in Parshas Miketz, Parak Membez, Pasuk Tess. This is a pivotal Ramban in understanding these parshias. It's when the brothers first come down to Mitzrayim, they don't recognize Yosef, Yosef does recognize them, and then the Pasuk says, Vayizkar Yosef, Yosef suddenly remembers all of a sudden, Yosef sees his brothers and he hops. He remembers that he had those dreams when he was 17 years old. Those funny dreams that we leaned about with the stalks of wheat that were bowing down to Yosef's stalks. And then another dream about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to Yosef. Strange dreams of a child, of a teenager. That didn't really, you know, we didn't think when we were landing that passion they were such a big deal. Suddenly they reappear in this pasuk that Yosef remembers these dreams. So what? So he remembers these dreams. What does this have to do with Yosef with meeting the brothers? And the Ramban so beautifully puts everything into clear perception. And he says, Yosef didn't look at these dreams as dvarm shalmabekach. This wasn't a dream like we have at night and we say, we wake up in the morning, oh, that was a really strange dream. You know, and it maybe rattles us a little bit, but we move on with our day and we forget about them. Yosef understood that these dreams were a nevuah. These weren't just some random things that he thought of at night that were trivial. These were very real. It was a nevuah that HaKadosh Baruch was given, just like the nevuah that HaKadosh Baruch gave Parai that Yosef interpreted, which was so important to determining the economic future of Mitzrayim and the whole world. Those dreams of Yosef were quite significant as well in Yosef's personal life. And as such, Yosef, who knew a thing or two about how to interpret dreams, understood the reality of those dreams, and that he had to put those dreams, he had to bring those dreams into reality. He had to make those dreams come true, if you will. And so what he did was, he methodically plotted out how those dreams will come Lamaisa. And he said, okay, there first has to be the first dream coming to reality, followed by the second dream coming to reality. The first dream was about the sheaves of wheat 
that were bowing down to Yosef. How many sheaves were there? There were 11. All the sheaves of wheat had to bow down to Yosef. Yosef was now the king. He understood he had to bring all the brothers, including Binyamin. If Binyamin was not brought down to bow down before Yosef, then that dream would not be entirely fulfilled and it would be nothing. It had to be fulfilled. It was a nevuah. So that's why he had to make sure to scare the brothers and to insist that Binyamin be brought down against the protest of the brothers. If we bring Binyamin down, it's going to kill our father. And Yosef nevertheless pushed through and insisted that Binyamin be brought down. And Binyamin was brought down. That was the fulfillment of the first dream. They all acknowledged Yosef as the king. Then, once Yosef revealed himself to his brothers, now the second dream was coming into fulfillment. He said, my father has to be brought down to Mitzrayim. He has to see me as the viceroy. He has to see that I am in charge. And of course, he's going to have to bow down to me. And then, when that happens, the second dream will be fulfilled when the Shemesh, the Arach, representing his parents, then the dreams will be fulfilled when HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted my mission in life to be, will have been completed. Ramban says, very interesting, he says, even though that the famous question, why didn't Yosef in his power in Egypt, he couldn't send a messenger up to tell Yaakov all these years that he was still alive. Yeah, he said everything had to be done in the right time. The Lashon Ramban, Es Hakel Asa Yafa Bi'itai. Everything was done in a timely manner. L'kayim ha'chalaymas to fulfill those dreams. Ki yadash yiskaimu be'emes. So that he knew that these dreams would be fulfilled in their fullest truth. This explains all of these parshas. This Ramban is eye-opening to just give us some understanding of what Yosef was doing here. Yosef wasn't being cruel and inhumane with his brothers and with his father. Yosef was following a plan that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had insisted be, be followed through the dreams of a child, of a 17-year-old boy. And this is what was unfolding in real time through all of the machinations of Yosef HaTzadik. Don't think that only Yosef assigned great importance to these dreams. Yaakov Avinu also knew exactly that these dreams were going to be fulfilled somehow, some way. As soon as those dreams were told to him by Yosef, the Pasuk says, Ve'aviv shomer esadavar. Yaakov Avinu protected this matter. He watched this matter. Rashi says that he was anticipating Masayavai. He knew that these dreams were more than simple dreams. These were a vision that would happen. And he wanted to see how this would possibly actually develop. What, what's going to happen? How is it that all of the brothers are going to bow down to Yosef? How, how is it that all of the brothers and his parents are going to bow down to Yosef? The Avim Shomer HaSadavah, he was carefully watching and waiting and anticipating Masayavai, when this would happen. Not only did he understand that these dreams were very important, he also understood that as soon as these dreams were fulfilled, he would die. Every time you see that 
the Psukim speak about Yaakov Avinu coming down to Egypt, he constantly says, and I will die. He says, as soon as Yosef sent to him to come down to Egypt, his Lashon is, El Chaber Ena, I want to go down and see him, B'Terem Amos, right before I die. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, I promise you, you'll go down to Mitzrayim, you'll see Yosef, you're going to go down and you're going to come right back up. What does that mean? You're going to be buried in Eretz Canaan. The Yosef Yashis Yad the Pasuk says, Yosef will close your eyes, meaning when you see Yosef, that will be your death. As soon as he actually meets Yosef, right after the Pasuk that we started with this morning, after this reunion, Amusa Hapam, now I'm ready to die. Why does Yaakov keep repeating over and over again that he will die? Because Yaakov understood from those dreams that as soon as the second dream was accomplished, like the Ramban says, his point in life that HaKadosh Baruch was keeping him alive for would then be over. The entire reason why Yaakov was already old and frail was kept alive all these years in spite of all the tsaras that he went through, in spite of all the worries, the daigas for his lost son Yosef, and he kept on being misabal on him more and more, even though normally a person is only misabal Yudbeis Chaydesh, but he understood that something was up with Yosef, there was something more. Yosef perhaps is somewhere alive. He was kept alive for this reunion so that he could bow down to Yosef as the Meishel B'chal Mitzrayim and then he, he would die right after that. His mission in life his personal mission would have been finished once those dreams would have been fulfilled. This was the understanding I believe in all of Yaakov Avino's motivation to go down to Egypt. It's interesting. Yaakov Avino went right away, Bizrizus, down to Mitzrayim when this happened. Now, I don't know if I would have done that exactly. I mean, as much as I would want to see Yosef, but if I realized that my entire life will be over as soon as I meet Yosef, I don't know if I'd go so quickly. I would, I would take my time maybe a little bit because I want to extend my life. I, I, like, I like being alive. I don't like the notion of me having to die. But this is a mitzvah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mitzvahim. Go down to Egypt. That's how Reb Chaim Brisker learns the reason why Yosef didn't say Kriya Shema. Well, Yaakovinu did was because Yosef already was Yosef as man Kriya Shema earlier. But Yaakov was Isaac the mitzvah to go down to Egypt. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded him to go out. He was Isaac the mitzvah, Patum and mitzvah. Once he saw Yosef, he could say Kriya Shema. It's interesting, there's a story that's told about Rav Shapsi Frankel. Does anyone know who Rav Shapsi Frankel is? Shapsi Frankel was the one that produced the famous Frankel Rambam. Frankel Rambam today is the classic Rambam. Everybody in the yeshiva world uses the Frankel Rambam today. I remember when it was just coming out and my Rebbe adamantly refused to use it. There's a Talmud in, in Long Beach Yeshiva and I brought him a Frank where he says, I can't use it, I need the, the real Rambam. Give me the real Rambam. Because the real Rambam was, you know, the Tzuras Hadaf 
is different than the Frankel Ram. He was used to using the old Ramams that you know that are that are collecting dust on the shelf today. But the Frankel Rambam slowly became the classic Rambam that everybody uses today because he went and he, had, he was a wealthy man. He hired a very prestigious group of scholars and they researched every word of the Rambam, every girsa in the Rambam, changed girsais, added different perushim on the sides of the Rambam, different marmakaimas, in the back of the Rambam, the famous machpechas that they have, that every single line of the Rambam, that one of the gedailim, the neisakeim of the Rambam, and the achreinim that write on the Rambam, the rishaynim, any kutza shoyut of the Rambam is all itemized there in the back. It's a classical work. It took many, many years to, fi- to finish this, this Rambam. So the story goes that the stipler told Reb Shapsi Franco, don't rush to complete the Rambam. Do it at a, at a certain pace, of course, but don't be in any major rush. And the reason for saying that advice to Reb Shapsi Franco was because the stipler understood that, <coughs> excuse me, that Reb Shapsi Franco's mission in life was to produce this Rambam. And once the Rambam was completed, he would have no purpose left in being alive, the Rebbein Shalom could take his life at any moment. So don't, you know, don't, don't rush. And the stipler supposedly told him a story, a famous story, that the Shagas Aryeh once gave a bracha to an old woman that she would have this chus because of a certain tzedakah that she did to have, to build three great shuls in her life. Two of them in Chutzlaretz and one in Eretz Yisrael. And she went and she built with her considerable wealth two shuls in Chutzlaretz. And then she was getting older and she went to Reb Chaim Belajner and told him that she's now heading to Eretz Yisrael so that she could build the third shul that the Shagas Aryeh told her she would build, she would be zeichet to build in her lifetime. So the story goes that Reb Chaim Belajner asked her, what are you rushing to go to Eretz Yisrael for? Take your time. What do you, what do you, you're, you're, you have a death wish? The Shagasariya gave you a, a guarantee, Avtacha, that you're going to stay alive until you accomplish this goal, so there's no rush. Go, but, but don't, don't, don't race there. Do it at a, at your, at a normal pace. They asked Rav Chaim Kanievsky if this story was true. With Rav Shapsi Frankel. Did your father really tell of Shapsi Frankel not to rush finishing the Rambam. And he says, no. He says, the story cannot be true. Why not? So he said, because my father would never go against the Chazal. And the Chazal is, in Parshas Matais, Parak Laman Alapasu Gimel, the Torah says, Vayidaber Moshe El Ha'am Lemar, Immediately after Akadosh Baruch Hu was mitzavet to go and to be naikim nikmas Hashem against Midjan for what they did for the promiscuity of the Bnei Midjan, Akadosh Baruch Hu commanded Moshe Rabbeinu go and fight the battle against Midjan, exact revenge. Viachar teosed And after you finish the battle, you're going to die. The pasuk then says, "Aidav Meshalami started rallying the troops. Let's go to war." And Rashi says, 
even though Maishra Rabbeinu heard that his death is hinged, is attached to the Melchemes Midjan, he didn't stall, he didn't procrastinate, he didn't try to run out the clock. He immediately followed the mitzvah Hashem. He followed what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted and he fought the battle and he died. And there's a medrash that says that Yeshua didn't do this. Yeshua was supposed to live 120 years. If you want to see the medrash, the medrash appears in Medrash Rabbah, the beginning of Parashas Matas. Yeshua is supposed to, like Meshur Rabbeinu, live a full 120 years, but he understood that his mission was to conquer Eretz Yisrael, to fight the Laman of Malachim in Eretz Canaan. And he took his own time. He took, he said, there's no rush. I don't want to race into anything. It might, you know, let's do this slowly because he understood that once his job was over, he wasn't going to live too much longer. And because he thought that he was outsmarting the Rabbi Shalom, he died 10 years prematurely. Meaning that when you have a mitzvah to do, it's not your cheshpin about stretching out your life. You do your mitzvah and let the Rabbi Shalom decide what your lifespan is. This is what Rabbi told the people that asked him. You want to see this in Sefer Derech? Sicha from Chaim Kanievsky said that it's not possible that my father could have given this Eitzah to Shabbat to go against a medrash, a chazal mefureshes that you don't do such thick. You don't, even if your life depends on something, you do it, you do your mission, and let the Rabbi Nishalom take your life if that's what he wants to do. And so you find that Yaakov Avinu, very similarly to Meshach Avinu, he knew that his life depended on meeting Yosef. Once he met Yosef, he had no more reason to live. The dreams would have been accomplished. And so he understood when he was coming to Mitzrayim to meet Yosef that what? He was really being Meisr Nefesh, giving over his soul to the Rabbi Shalom to do his Ratzin. I believe that perhaps that's why Chazal tell us that he was saying Kriyashma, Dafka at this moment. There wasn't a Kriyashma that we say every morning by Bismanai. It was a Kriyashma of Mesiris Nefesh. Kriyashma, the mitzvah of Kriyashma is You have to give up your life, Al Kiddush Hashem. The Mishnah brings that when you say Kriyashma, you're supposed to think about Mamish sacrificing yourself to the Rabbinish Lailam. Al Kiddush Hashem. That's the Kavana that we should be having when we say Kriyashma. So when he met Yosef at this point, he basically understood that he was giving up his life now. Because of Mitzvah Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch says, meet Yosef, and then afterwards, you're going to die after that. You're going to go, it's going to be a round trip ticket to Mitzrayim. You're going to go down to Mitzrayim, and I'm going to come back with you, I'm going to escort you back here on your deathbed. The Yosef Yashiz Yachalaynecha, Yosef will close your eyes, meaning it was, it was a very quick trip for, for, uh, for Yaakov Avinu. And Yaakov Avinu did it because this was the Mitzvah Sashem. But yet we find did Yaakov Avinu actually die right after this encounter? No. He lived another 17 years. 
Vayichi Yaakov Shvasre Shana in Mitzrayim. Why didn't he die right away? I thought the whole mission, the whole kiem of the Chalaymas was telling him coming to Mitzrayim and being with Yaisef, submitting himself to Yaisef as the Maishel, and then he would die. This is what he wanted. This is what he was being Maishel Nefesh for. So what I wanted to say was that this is the significance of these words in this Pasuk, Vayera Elav, and Rashi says, Yaisef Nira El Aviv. And we learned before from Leib Chasman that what did he do? He was mevatel himself totally when he met his father. Why was he mevatel himself? What I'd like to suggest, perhaps, is that if Yosef would have come the bechinas melech, if he would be Yosef Atzadik, who was the Moshe B'chalaris Mitzrayim, then Yaakov Avinu would have what? He would have bowed down to him in submission to the melech, and he would have died. The Chalaymas would have been fulfilled and he would have died on the spot. Yosef did not want his father to die. Yosef wanted to spend time with his father. Yosef loved his father. Yosef didn't have the mitzvah that his father had. The father had the mitzvah to go down and to see Yosef and then to die. Yosef tried desperately that that should not happen. So you know what he did? He didn't come to Bechinas Melech. But yes, Yosef is Merkav. He didn't come with all of the all of his secret service, his bodyguards, all of his chariot. He came as a Pashta Mensch. Rashi says he hitched his own chariot. He came as a simple person. He came as a son before his father. Yosef Nirel Aviv. He appeared as a, as a son before a father. Complete his thoughtless. He didn't come in, I'm the king, I'm the president, I'm the, I'm the viceroy, I'm the, you know, this is who I am. Tati, you should be impressed with me. Look at what I became in all these 22 years. Rags to riches. He didn't say a word. Complete and utter his thoughtless because he understood that as long as he wasn't the Michel as the dream predicted he would be, as long as he didn't act with all of that pomp and circumstance and power, Yosef was still a son to his father, and a father has no obligation ever to bow before his son. Complete bittle. Complete subjugation of a son before his father. This was Yosef's. It wasn't just merely a musravar in Kibbut Abayim. It was a desperate attempt at giving his father Arichas Yamim. Later in Parshas Vayechi, when Yosef understood that his father was about to die, Yaakov Avinu was very old. He understood that his time was up. He calls Yosef in twice. First he calls Yosef in to ask him to be buried in Egypt, and then he's mishtachavet to him. He bows down to him. And then the next Pasuk speaks about he got sick. And he calls to his son Yosef. I mean, Yosef was told that he was sick and he comes to get brachas from Ephraim, from Ephraim Menashe. And the Pasuk says, fascinating. It says, Vayishchazek Yisrael Vayeshev Alamita. 
He calls his son and he has strength. Even though he was very sick, he musters up strength and he sits on his bed, even though he should have been lying on his bed. And Rashi says, listen to this Rashi. Omar, Yaakov says about Yosef, even though he's my son, Melechu, he's also a king. Achalek like covered. And I'm going to give him covered. Mikan shechokin kaved l'malchus. From here you see the yerchayle kaved l'malchus. Strange Rashi. Yaakov Avinu all of a sudden has an epiphany after 17 years of being in Egypt that his son is a melech, that I should give him some kaved malchus. Of course he knew that. But Yosef was acting with such pito. Yosef was so mevatal himself in front of his father that Yaakov Avinu never sensed for a second any malchus when he was in his presence. Not once did Yaakov Avinu feel that he had to actually give him covered malchus. My son, what does it mean Afapishu Bani? He's always acted all, this, all these 17 years from that first encounter until today as my son. Yosef Nero Avid complete bitto before me. I didn't have an opportunity yet to really give him covered malchus. Now at the end of his life, right before he dies, he bows to him. He gives him covered. He sits up on the bed for him. Meaning at this point now, and only now, were the dreams finally fulfilled in totality. Shemesh and shortly thereafter he gives the brachas to the Shvatim and he dies. This is the Kayach of Yasef HaTzadik. Yasef HaTzadik was so concerned about his father's welfare that not only, like Rabbi Leib Chasman said, he was mevatal himself, he suppressed his own emotions when he met his father. But he didn't have any malchus in him. Isn't it natural that if you're an accomplished person, if you're a CEO of a company, you're a president, you're a, you're a political superstar, isn't it only natural that you want to show your father what you became, who you are, make him proud? But Yosef understood that I have to suppress that as much as I can because I want to extend the life of my father more important than my own Bragging, my own malchus is my father's life. There's a fascinating psikta, psikta of Kana. It took me a while to find it. It's pretty famous, I think, though. When Yosef heard that his father got sick, so the Medrash goes through who told Yosef that his father was sick and maybe it was um, it might have been Binyamin that gave him the heads up that his father was sick and it's time now to go to his deathbed or maybe it was um, Bilha or maybe it was uh, some other servants in the, in the palace not clear who was the person who, who gave the tip off to Yosef that, he was, that his father was sick and the Medrash says 
that this is a tremendous shavach of Yosef. Why didn't Yosef know himself that he was... Didn't Yosef visit his father constantly to see how he was? I mean, they hadn't seen each other 22 years. They met once. And it seems from the Medrash that they hardly, if ever, saw each other again until the end of his days. 17 years in Egypt, you'd think that they were... You know, as close as could be for those 17 years, the Medrash says no. Yosef cannot never, if ever, went again to see his father and to be misyachid with his father. He needed people to tell him when his father was sick. Why? So the Medrash says, it's picked to the because he didn't want, he was such a, he was so mocked on Lashon Hara that he didn't want to be misyachid with his father and his father is going to start schmoozing with him and say, yes, yeah, by the way, tell me the story. Like, what happened? Where were you for 22 years? Well, you know, how did this happen? Because the brothers never told him the true story. And Yosef was afraid that if he'd be misyachid with his father, that he would have to tell him all of the details that weren't so flattering for the brother, how they, they threw him into a pit, they told the father that Taraf Taraf Yosef, Yosef was eaten by wild animals, Here's the Xenus Possum with the blood stains on it. And he, they sold me to the Ishmaelim, and, the, and we, I was shipped down to Mitzrayim, and Paititha, and all the Tsaras that I went through. And Yosef didn't want to be in that Nisayan, that his father would ask him these pointed questions, and that he would have no, no choice but to unload all of this Lashon Hara against his brothers. Amazing Tzitkas of Yosef. And that's why he was never misyachid with his father. It's an amazing medrash. It's a psikta der of Kana. It's psikta Hashmini. That's the name of the chapter of... Uh, I, could, I could give you a copy if you'd like to see it inside. But I'd like to suggest, based on what we're saying this morning, perhaps another pshat, why Yosef hardly ever, if ever, was misyachid with his father, spent much time with his father. Because... He was afraid constantly that if I had spent time with my father, there might be moments that I have to reveal who I am to my father. The real extent of my power. People might come into the room while we're together and treat me like a melech. And Yaakov all of a sudden would have a, have a, a shift in paradigm from treating me like a simple mere son to treating me like a melech doing mishtachavet to me, and then the dreams would be fulfilled. And the words of Musa Apam would actually, Rachman happen. I can't take chances. Yosef was so afraid of doing one wrong move to trigger the Amusa Apam that he stayed clear of his father even though it was the exact opposite of what he wanted to do. Such was the greatness of Yosef Atzadik. So Makbid on Kibra Aim was Yosef HaTzadik that even though emotionally he of course wanted to learn with his father, wanted to spend precious quality time with his father whom he loved. But for his father's own health, for his father's longevity, he could not allow himself to share that time, to reveal who he was, the power that he had earned lest his father, Ahmad al-Islan, die even a second prematurely. Only beside Yamav, when he was sick and he was mamish 
there was nothing, no kayak left to Yaakov Avinu. Then and only then did Yaakov come before Yosef come before Yaakov in perhaps a state of Malchus. And then Yaakov stood up on the bed by Yitzchazik Yisrael Arash Hamita Afa Pisha who b'ni of a melechu only at the end of his life did he actually get a glimpse of Yosef the Melech and treat him with a full malchus that he deserved these are important lessons in in personal greatness in personal restraint to Mekayim the Ratzon HaShem Yaakov Avinu showed how he was Meisr Nefesh to accomplish what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted in sending him down to Mitzrayim, to seeing Yosef, to have the dreams fulfilled. Yosef was Meisr Nefesh, giving up all of his own hopes and aspirations, his human emotion, in order so that his father's Kibbet Aveim should be intact, and his father should live as long as possible. This is what it takes to be a tzaddik. A tzaddik means giving up our own personal Ritzainais to Mekayim the Ratzin Hashem. The Mitzvah Hashem, as we go through these parshas and we absorb these lessons, we should all take chizuk and we should all be uplifted in our own personal Avedis Hashem to try to do a better Avedah, to give up more of ourselves, to be Meisr Nefesh, more for the Ratzon Hashem. In the Mitzvah Hashem, we will accomplish this in due course. Have a good chance.